Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christina. I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. Well, it's my turn. I picked a story called Lamb to the Slaughter by our good friend Roald Dahl. I forget where I picked this one. (laughs) This is one of my hasty Google searches for short stories. Did you know what it was before you read it? Yeah, I like read something about a murder. Is it was this familiar to you? Like, have you seen the Hitchcock thing, or did you know about the story beforehand? Mm -mm. So you were familiar. When I got to the leg of lamb, I was like, oh my god, it's that story. Okay. Yeah, no. When I got to the Legoland, I knew what the rest of the story was going to be, but I don't know if it's because I had ever, I don't think I was familiar with this. I'm not very well read. Well, I don't know. I don't think I ever read it before, and I'm not sure I saw the Alfred Hitchcock thing. Yeah, it's just like referred to or something. Yeah, it's like one of those things in the zeitgeist. Yeah, Yeah, no. I I don't know if I guessed it just because I'm (laughs) brilliant. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to read this section in the middle. And now, she told herself as she hurried back, all she was doing now, she was returning home to her husband, and he was waiting for his supper. And she must cook it good, and make it as tasty as possible, because the poor man was tired. And if, when she entered the house, she happened to find anything unusual, or tragic, or terrible, then naturally it would be a shock, and she'd become frantic with grief and horror. Mind you, she wasn't expecting to find anything, she was just going home with the vegetables. Mrs. Patrick Maloney going home with the vegetables on Thursday evening to cook supper for her husband. That's the way she told herself. Do everything right and natural keep things absolutely natural and there'll be no need for any acting at all therefore when she entered the kitchen by the back door she was humming a little tune to herself and smiling patrick she called how are you darling she put the parcel down on the table and went through into the living room and when she saw him lying there on the floor with his legs doubled up and one arm twisted back underneath his body it really was rather a shock all the old love and longing for him welled up inside her and she ran over to him knelt down beside him and began to cry her heart out it was easy no acting was necessary a few minutes later she got up and went to the phone she knew the number of the police station and when the man at the other end answered she cried to him quick come quick patrick's dead who's speaking mrs maloney mrs patrick maloney you mean patrick maloney's dead i think so she sobbed he's lying on the floor and i think he's dead be right over the man said i like that you read that section because it kind of it's one of the things that i noticed about this story was just the way that point of view was handled a very shifty point of view like when it was deep inside of her when it was looking out from the outside and that section is is her kind of walking Talking herself through yeah. that and giving like a point of view on herself and like right. giving herself notes about her point of view and like what i don't know there's something meta about that oh yeah 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 so i hadn't been familiar with this i certainly hadn't read it and i don't know that this is necessarily like one of those stories where i have any like enlightening literary takeaway you know but it's one of, it's a really cool premise right we love to see people getting away with it and it's neat probably just for that moment where i think a lot of times you'll see a story where maybe somebody like even if they commit a murder in haste and they go to cover it up you just like watch them cover it up and here it's like we watch her compose herself she goes from blind rage where she kills her husband after he tells her he's gonna leave her she's pregnant she doesn't plan to kill him she kills him she's kind of surprised she killed him and then very 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 quickly she decides what she's gonna do then she immediately executes it and she gets away with it and it's like oh my gosh this is so fun to read because we got to be like in her head watching the gears kind of turn and there's a paragraph where i thought about reading but it was going to be too big a section right before that set that part 
Uh, so right after she <laughs> smashes him over he- the head with the leg of lamb and he's dead, she says, all right, she told herself, so I've killed him. It was extraordinary now how clear her mind became all of a sudden. She began thinking very fast. As the wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murders with unborn babies? Did they kill then both mother and child or did they wait th- until the 10th month? What did they do? It was neat to kind of see her get really practical about it. You can almost imagine, and the story ends this way, where the <laughs> she serves the lamb to these police detectives who are like, I wonder who done it and where? And they yeah. eat up the evidence, and she giggles in the other room. That's how it ends. So you can kind of tell, like, even from this section that I've read, and certainly by the end, that this is a woman that I don't think will ever regret this decision, right? Because to regret this decision would be to have some delusion that things could have worked out. She decided in the heat of the moment, as her husband is telling her while she's pregnant that he's leaving her that her life is over and she hates his guts so if she if he's gonna leave her high and dry like she's gonna punish him and he doesn't really say why he's leaving but you can kind of like assume or at least like wonder if there's like infidelity right like she's never gonna get over that you know yeah i don't think it i think it's left out because it doesn't matter it's like yeah it doesn't matter but she's just like you're gonna screw me this way i'm your pregnant wife yeah so it's like kind of it's kind of cool too to see that it's not just a adrenaline in that moment it's clarity in terms of like this is the best possible outcome he's dead and uh i don't regret it <laughs> there's a, the paragraph the entire paragraph is two sentences all right she told herself so i've killed him <laughs> yeah i love that <laughs> i know yeah, she's always very competent, right? Yeah. Everything she's doing is the uh, utmost of competence. She's competent in her service to her husband, right? Like having the drink ready, waiting. And like she offers to get the slippers and her, you know, like whatever he's going to need. She's competent in getting that ready. And then once he's, she kills him, she knows exactly what to do. It's like, okay, this isn't what I need to do. I need to have an alibi. So I need to go to the store. Right. I need to do right. this. So I need to So I need to practice that. And, and even just offering the detectives the lamb, she's competent in getting getting them to eat that too um the social niceties of it i guess oh yeah yeah she's like a yeah competence the best word but you're right like she's performing now as the good hostess and she she's done it so well and authentically her whole life that like this part is the easiest part of all of it yeah almost yeah you know yeah she didn't plan to kill her husband but she can certainly like serve a meal and play nice at the grocer she's been doing that her whole life I mentioned earlier about the point of view, like the beginning of it, we get, a, you know, we get her thoughts, you know, for her, this was always a blissful time of day. Yeah. She knew she didn't want to speak much until the first drink, but I felt like a lot of the beginning part was very cinematic in its point of view, you know, like uh, there's yeah. this line, there's this part where, so he gets up to have a drink and he's like leaning on the, the service. I don't know if they have a dry sink or whatever they have there. And he says he had now become absolutely motionless and he kept his head down so that the light from the lamp beside him fell across across the upper part of his face, leaving the chin and mouth in shadow. That feels like just like a camera, right? There's a camera looking at him so you can see this shadow. But the next one says she noticed. So, you know, we're seeing it from her point of view. She noticed there was a little muscle moving near the corner of his left eye. All this is very, just feels cinematic, you know? Right. But then when she gets really upset with him, she says, um, I'll get the supper. She managed to whisper. And this time he didn't stop her. When she walked across the room, she couldn't feel her feet touching the floor. She couldn't feel anything at all except a slight nausea 
nausea and a desire to vomit. Everything was automatic now. Down the steps of the cellar, the light switch, the deep freeze, the hand inside the cabinet taking hold of the first object it met. She lifted it out and looked at it. It was wrapped in paper, so she took off the paper and looked at it again. A leg of lamb. You know, that's that's very internal. You know, it's not, right. not that cinematic point of view anymore. It's like, it's impressionist. It's like, what is she feeling on the inside as she's going through these motions? I don't know. I'm commenting on that just to say that I really liked, because it was always her point of view, but I always, I really liked the, the shifts and distance in this. And like when we get her thoughts and when we move away, even after um, when she actually does the, when she does the murder, right? Yeah. It says, uh, for God's sake, he said, hearing her, but not turning around. Don't make supper for me. I'm going out. At that point, Mary Maloney simply walked up behind him and without any pause, she swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could on the back of his head. She might just as well have hit him with a steel club. Like there's no internal point of view on that moment. That's just, it's almost like a yeah. crime drama. Just it's, it's Mary Maloney. It's her full name. It's um, right. like reporting. Like you read it in the, on a blotter or something. Right. Yeah. Just the, the sh- those shifts are really, I, I don't imagine he thought about it much. I think it was intuitive, but sure. they're well done. They're very fine tuned. Yeah. Cause that's the moment. So it makes sense that there's like a natural shift that probably took place in his writing. He wants to make it dramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, too, like, because uh, the last sentence says, and in the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. So it's like, there's like her full name again. And it's like in the other room. So like, we're not even like with her thinking, why is she laughing? We know why. But it's that part's almost like a report. Well, she's referred to as the woman a few paragraphs before that. It's like, like at the end, like you said, she, Mary Maloney began to, to giggle. But the woman stayed where she was listening to them speak among themselves. Yeah. So it's still kind of in her point of view, but she's been reduced to. Uh, yeah we're not in her head anymore we're no, listening like, uh, we're from our point of view as far as like listening through the wall we're hearing the conversation yeah but we're not in our point of view as fully in that moment yeah because she becomes a different person around a group of men right she's just the woman in this there you, go. you know and then like in the other room she's the criminal mary maloney is the criminal like she's giggling in the other room that's mary maloney the criminal and then like otherwise it's like yeah. if it's like she it's more in her head yeah mary maloney that's the the name of the little subheading and some like book about devious murderers <laughs> yeah so you're right it does kind of shift i think the shift where she becomes the woman around the men is like the most crucial part of it right because she can interact one-on-one with the grocer and the timing works out and that's like authentic but she for as competent as she is is happy to kind of like defer to those men right she's like in the house just like oh oh god i'm gonna let them poke around they can do whatever they want you know i'm not worried and i I think one of the guys is the one that tells her like oh your food's still in the oven and she's like oh thank you you know like she's even happy to kind of like let them pretend like she doesn't remember that's at play and then feeds them and like this is the most crucial part of her performance is that she becomes just like the doting housewife that's like so out of it and kind of dazed that it doesn't totally blow their minds that she would want to feed them right they're like oh yeah she's just distraught so the least we can do is eat the murder weapon yeah because <laughs> I was thinking like, you know, maybe today there would be one of those like incredible Forensics Files episodes where like they never found a weapon, but they like got DNA of like pork 
off this guy's head, you know, and like pieced everything together. But otherwise, I was like, wow, this is like, good job, Roald Dahl, for coming up with like, <laughs> what's what's a really interesting concept? It's like those uh, puzzles, you know, where it's like somebody's hanging from a ceiling in a locked room, the or like the room's like locked from the outside and there's a puddle of water. Like, how'd they kill themselves? And, like, they stood on the block of ice. Like, whoever yeah. came up with that, all they came up with was like a funny, interesting, like, tongue twister joke to like give to someone. But Roald Dahl is like, what if a woman hit a man with a leg of meat and they got rid of the murder weapon and then it like writes the full story about it. it's kind of cool see that's the thing about we have like our novel workshops and like even the short story workshops people are very covetous of their ideas like yeah i don't want to tell you the whole idea because i don't want to i don't want to steal it but ideas are so cheap it's like the difference between being able to write a story based on this idea and, and being able joke. to just like write a riddle it's yeah, like totally yeah, yeah. different execution yeah. is what you're selling when you sell something right. you're selling the idea right. you're ability to execute it and that's yeah. like when people ask about like how do i get an agent it's like you demonstrate to the agent that you can execute an idea yeah <laughs> you have ideas and, and you can execute right. them. and i think people get hung up on the on the concept of like you know well my idea is really good or my idea is not good enough it's like that has so much less to do with it yeah to your point this is an interesting premise but he's executed it really well and yeah, like i said yeah. when we started i don't know that i'll remember much other than the premise but i'll remember the premise because it was executed well you know what i mean oh yeah i remember the premise just it was in the like I said the zeitgeist it was yeah I feel like you know it was like a like if I watched Night Court in the 80s or something there was a <laughs> a punchline that referenced it you know that kind of thing because yeah, exactly. I don't remember I never read it and I don't remember actually seeing the, the Alfred Hitchcock piece that recreated it but I was aware of it I was aware of its details somehow yeah it's like you know you don't have to have read Romeo and Juliet to know the story of Romeo and Juliet because it's right. just everywhere it's kind of like that if I had to come up with like a takeaway that's like a little more literary, for me, this feels like one of those stories that was probably just really fun for him to write. You know, he came up with this idea and then he's just going to like execute it pretty quickly, pretty easily. I imagine this was simple for him to do. And it was probably just fun. He's a writer, professional. Come on. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, so maybe he fucking did this in his sleep or maybe he like really labored at it and that's how it became what it is. But like when I look at a story like this and like I said at the beginning, I don't know, this is some literary masterpiece, but it certainly is one of these things that pops up in short story searches because the premise makes it really memorable and maybe it's like entered the zeitgeist because it's like a really cool concept but I find myself sometimes coming up with what feels like a cutesy premise and then just like shying away from it because it doesn't seem like a serious enough endeavor but like if you uh, yeah. you know what I mean where you like yes. come up with something and you're like that's kind of cool and then you're like ah, but I'm a serious writer <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> oh Christine like I'm acting as if like don't want to disappoint the fans <laughs> no because certainly if I were to get one of these cutesy premises published, it would ruin the, the entire body of my published work, which includes uh, yeah. so far like one other title, right? Like, <laughs> what am I worried about ruining? I need to get on the fucking map first. But well, this was probably one that he just had a blast writing. And like, there's nothing wrong with that because he was able to execute it. You know, like if somebody else were to come up with this, they might not be able to execute it in a way that makes it a short story that we remember and recall and keep reading like decades later. So like, if you have a cool idea, it could just be that and you could just do it. I do find myself and I couldn't name a story idea now, but I'll at least like come up with something and I'll convince myself it's not worth anything or I'll write it down and tell myself I'm going to use it as part of something else. But it could just be the standalone thing that especially in the moment you harness that interest that you have, you know, an idea comes to mind. Sit down and write it. Just try it. Don't convince yourself it's not enough or it's not nothing or it's not serious enough. 
Do you have a takeaway? Yeah, I do. Totally different. But one thing we talk about a lot is we talk about dialogue a lot. But one thing that this story used, and he used really extended sections of it, is just indirect dialogue or narrated dialogue, where it's the speech, but it's not quoted, right? So this whole section near the end, there's no quotation marks. So it's like... uh, Noonan asked if she wouldn't rather go somewhere else, to her sister's house, perhaps, or to his own uh, wife, who would take care of her and put her up for the night. No, she said, she didn't feel like she could move even a yard at the moment. Would they mind awfully if she stayed just where she was until she felt better? She didn't feel too good at the moment. She really didn't. Then hadn't she better lie down on the bed, Jack Noonan asked? No, she said she'd like to stay right where she was, in this chair. A little later, perhaps, when she felt better, she would move. Like, if that were actual, like, her actual words it wouldn't be like a little later perhaps when she felt better she would move it would be a little later perhaps when i feel better then i'll then maybe i'll move or something like that you know um so this is like it's dialogue-esque right it's got some of the words that she would say but it's told in the narrator's point of view and the narrator's kind of style or the narrative style yeah so it's like in third person not in first person because the narrator's telling it about her rather than her speaking for herself because there there is so much other dialogue that is quoted it's not as if the whole story is written this way yeah but this is like one of those tools of fiction that we don't i don't think we talk about very often and like i think it's well used here because you have this whole section of indirect dialogue and then a quote right right they left her there while they were about their business searching the house occasionally one of the detectives asked her another question sometimes jack noonan spoke at her gently as he passed by her husband he told her had been killed by a blow on the back of the head and ministered with a heavy blunt instrument, almost certainly a large piece of metal. They were looking for the weapon. The murderer may have taken it with him, but on the other hand, he may have thrown it away or hidden it somewhere on the premises. That's all indirect dialogue. Right. And then, quotes, it's the old story, he said. Get the weapon and you've got the man. Yeah. So that that allows you to have that like kind of punctuated moment within what was generally dialogue, but it's punctuated because it's it jumps into direct dialogue rather than indirect dialogue. It's not summary so it is like pretty closely dialogue you could just like add the punctuation and it's basically there like yeah, change like she to heat to yeah. eye and stuff like that here and yeah. there it'd be a little tweak but you could get it yeah but i feel like i am familiar with this concept and usually when i read stuff like this i find myself thinking about like journalism where somebody would recount this story to you mary maloney might recount this story to you and she would remember the direct quote that he said which is yeah you know the saying you find the weapon you find the man like she'd probably remember that and be confident confident and say that he said that but the rest of it she might like you know i think he offered to do this and i think he wanted me to go to my sister's and then you would write it in a way like this that still feels literary right and like I don't know, you could argue that it's like not authentic, but like, you know, David Sedaris, who we featured on this podcast, he writes a lot of memoir stuff. He gets a lot of criticism for writing everything as direct quote. And he's admitted like in interviews, like, obviously, I don't remember these direct quotes. Like I'm I'm reinventing this dialogue. You know what I mean? It happened a long time ago, but like some of it's probably pretty spot on and some of it's probably pretty close. But this is like an alternative kind of method where it adds a certain element to it where you're, yes, you're not like attributing it to fact if this were in journalism or if this were in memoir. But like even in a story like this, you're kind of saying like, you know, this is the part where the story gets fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure this is what happened. And, you know, things were, there was a lot going on in this moment, but I'm pretty sure a cop asked her to sit down and then a cop asked about this. And it adds this element of like trying to recall something, you know, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit because it plays with point of view because it's 
stays yeah. in the narrator, yeah. the narrator's style, and it's not as immediate, right? Right. So it has that kind of gauze over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I love that effect. I talk all the time yes. about like things written in hindsight. I love when something has been filtered that way. Yeah, it's like a memory, like you yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's things at play here that make it more than just a good premise. What do we say about a, a working competent writer? They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. What's that like? <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.